0: Lord Jesus, um, thank you for who you are, first and foremost. Thank you for um, your love for us, the wisdom that you have, your unending power, your grace and your mercy, and on and on and on and on. Thank you for the gifts that you've given Garrison, and, and Lord, I ask that your spirit would, would move and be present in this room, that as we, as we spend the next 40 minutes talking about um, a book that you put together... Um, Lord, I ask that, that you in your heart would infuse this man, that you would speak uh, well and clearly through him, and that we would be even more in love uh, with your word. We love you, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. How's it going, guys? Good, good. It's good to see you. Um, So over the next couple weeks, we're going to be doing a little mini-series on the topic of the Bible. So I'm preaching from the Bible about the Bible. It's going to be fun. Um, And so the idea behind this series is just essentially to stir our affections for the Word. Um, We want to um, be a people of the Word because in reality, Jesus was also a the Word and flesh. So if we are about Jesus, and I guess we um, should probably be about the Bible as well, right? Um, so this week we're going to be talking about the general how do we actually approach the Bible, where do we begin our conversation with the Bible, and then next week we're going to talk about what it looks like when we begin to start delighting in the Word and what happens when we start to approach the Bible. And so the title of this series is Let's Talk About the Bible. And so in order for this to be a conversation and not just me talking to you about the Bible, um, I actually want to start off with a little bit of conversation, some dialogue between both of us. If you're new here, uh, sometimes we like to actually talk to each other instead of just me talking at you. So in two sentences or less, maybe it's just a phrase, I'd love to hear from you. Um, What comes to mind when you think about the Bible? What comes to mind when you think about the Bible? Word Word of God. It's alive. It's alive. Grace, redemption, promises, Promises. yes, wisdom, Mm, life. What was that over here? Roadmap, Roadmap. big story. story. That's great. See, okay, these are all amazing. Uh, I love, I love hearing uh, these words. Uh, But sometimes, and okay, so this is. This is church right and we're supposed to be honest in church right so uh, if i'm being honest with myself i know that sometimes when i approach the scriptures uh, some of the thoughts that come to mind aren't as flowery and positive um sometimes i i wrestle with the word right um so i'd love to hear like what what comes to mind when you think about the word when you go to the other side of the spectrum when you're wrestling with it contradictory wow that's a good one Comic book. Impossible. Impossible. By men. What was that? Compiled by men. Compiled by men. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when we read scripture, it seems ridiculous. Right? Hard to comprehend. Hard to comprehend. That's a good one. Any else? Extreme? Lament. Mm. See, these are the things that come to mind when we start to think about the Bible, right? the The honest truth is, if we were all to, supposed to start talking about our our belief in the Bible, um, it would it, it would actually reveal to us, as it has right now, that there are different opinions in the room. We've got the word of God, we've got hard to comprehend, almost like visceral sometimes, right? So imagine with me, young fifth grade garrison running around the church with his friends. Okay, so um, it's the night service, it's just ended, and Garrison um, is up on stage with his dad, who's talking to another one of the elders in the church, and uh, one of my friends calls to me from the other side of the sanctuary, so I lightly toss my Bible on the altar and then start darting down the aisle to see what my friend had to talk about, but I didn't get too far. Um, One of the ladies in the church who had taken an odd interest, and maybe even obsessive interest, in making for sure the children of staff members were actually behaving, stopped me. And she says, son, I don't know who you think you are, but you're going to walk, not run, walk right back up this aisle and pick up your Bible. The floor is no place for God's word. Amen. Right? So this is the culture that raised me. It's the Southern conservative Bible belt how many of you grew up in this culture? Maybe, maybe you didn't. Um, it's a culture of Bible drill. Um, how many of you guys did Bible drill or sword drill when you were younger? So we've got a few in the room. And, and if you don't know what Bible drill is, this was a statewide competition where kids would compete on how many verses they could memorize and how many, or how quickly they could turn to different books of the Bible. I would be lying to you if I said that this didn't turn me into a little bit of a Pharisee. Like, seriously, I'd be listening to the pastor and he'd say something like, turn to the book of Haggai, and then I'd flip there as fast as I could, hit it, look over to my friend and be like, oh, you're using the table of contents? That's cute. Or how many of you guys did a wana? Yeah, so we've got a few in the room. Um, and Awana was amazing. There were some beautiful things that like the Awana, this children's ministry or program taught me, but uh, just entertain this with me for a second. This was a program that bribed kids to memorize scripture through giving them fake money. Like now maybe you didn't grow up in that culture, Uh, but it's not hard to see that some of it's a little odd, you know, and don't get me wrong, a lot of it was beautiful, and I learned a lot from that from that season. But sometimes I look back at that era of church, and I just smile and shake my head. Nowadays, we attend church gatherings, and when it's time for us to take out our Bibles, we, we pull out our mobile apps, right? Now, this transition from leather-bound books to megabyte mobile apps may just be one of convenience that aligns to the trends in culture. Um, But I honestly, I, I applaud that advancement. You know, everything is on our devices. Praise God, the Bible is as well. The Bible is more accessible now than it ever has been in history. Yet, even though the accessibility of the Bible has like continually grown also true that we have a lack of biblical engagement in our culture. Have you ever noticed that? Christian researchers took polls discovering that though a vast majority of people claim to be Christians and they truly want to honor Jesus with their lives, most of them also admit to rarely reading their Bibles at all. And so whether you feel like you fit into this category, it's, it's easy to admit and recognize that there is a severe lack of biblical engagement in our culture. But there's also good news. So another poll done by Gallup found that many Americans report that they would like to learn more about the Bible. About 75% of Americans admit to being interested in growing in their understanding of the Bible. So we, we actually want to know more. we want to understand. so before we continue on in our conversation, I thought i 'd just give you a few like basic raw facts about the content of the Bible that nobody is typically going to disagree on um, and th- these are just super simple. Um, so here are the basic raw facts: The Bible is a library of sixty six different books there 's over 40 different authors to the scriptures. Some of of them are prophets. There's songwriters, tent makers, shepherds, judges. There's a physician and even some kings. There are three different languages. We've got Greek, Hebrew, and a little bit of Aramaic. It was written across three different continents, Africa, Asia, and a little bit of Europe. It was written and compiled over fifteen hundred years. And the Bible actually contains multiple genres of literature. So 30% of or 43% of your Bible is narrative. So we've got story with a climax and an ending point, and just a narrative. There's about 33% of your Bible is poetry. So uh, it's got a rhythm to it when it's read. There's a creative expression going on. And then 24% of that is prose and discourse. And this is what we typically think of when we think of Bible. Um, it's the conversation the the letters the commands the lists and this is kind of what we typically think of when the majority of us think about approaching the scriptures now a lot of this is really cool to think about it's it's really cool to engage with but like how are we actually supposed to approach the scriptures you know that's a completely different question how are we supposed to engage with that the the way i perceive or approach the bible is so important if i believe that it's uh, that it applies to my life that it is completely consistent and congruent in its entire message then i will also then begin to read it in a specific way right but then if i only believe that the scripture is partially true then i will also read that in a specific way as well so so the way we read the Bible and the way we approach the scriptures really matters. Have you ever asked questions like these? It's meant to be taken at face value, or is it meant to be taken at face value? Do I need an extensive degree to fully understand its historical and cultural context? Does any of this even really matter? Is the Bible from my time and place or only apply to the old dead guys and the culture that it was written to? Are these even the right questions? How we approach the Bible is so important. So, h- how are we supposed to approach it? Every generation and culture, for that matter, has approached the scriptures differently. We've uh, approached it with different nuance, and some of those things have been good, and some of them have actually resulted in failing to approach the Bible correctly. So every generation has approached it with good things and bad things. I had conversations with both Steve and Matt to try to get this broader understanding of how they thought their generation, their cultures were approaching the scriptures. And there's just so many different nuances that each culture, each generation has taken to the approach to Scripture. And in our time, I'm beginning to realize that when we begin the conversation about the Bible, it seems like we we start with the conversation of our belief. Like, what do we individually believe? Or our opinions about the Bible? Or even the problems that we have with Scripture? That's that's where we begin. What do we individually believe? And, and I'm willing to bet, like we did, that like the, there are a lot of different raw opinions about the scriptures. So, is that a good thing or bad thing, right? Like, what what do we believe? Now, what we believe can can be a good thing, but it, it can be a dangerous starting point if we're not careful. So, l- let me explain what I mean. Have you ever heard the phrase or like read the bumper sticker, "The Bible"? says it, I believe it, that Nobody knows. That means there's no Southerners in the room. Okay, good. <laughs> um, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. So there's this, like, uh, it was a phrase. You'd find it on the back of a bumper sticker. You'd hear people say it confidently. Maybe it's inspiring. It's, it's a great phrase, I guess, but, like, what happens when you go off to college and uh, your friend gives you a really good argument and what you thought you believed doesn't settle it anymore? Or what happens when you experience more of life and the answers that you had to life's questions aren't necessarily answering them the way that they did. This phrase should more say, the Bible says that I have to interpret it, and that makes it really complicated. <laughs> but let's just say your belief is firm. It's it's strong. Maybe you've never even, like, questioned the way that you read scripture maybe maybe your belief it, you've had you've had a lot of life experience and to this day you're firm in where you stand with the scriptures that's that's not a bad thing that's actually really good but if our approach to the Bible starts with our own belief our own opinions aren't we placing ourselves in authority the problem with that with that is that whether your view is positive or it's negative, our understanding of the authority of scriptures, if it is based on the foundation of our own belief, then we are actually elevating ourselves as the authority above the scriptures. But... so so doesn't that give us freedom to put ourselves in this posture of us being the subject and the bible is the object almost as if the bible is this artifact and we're supposed to be the interpreters when in fact in my own experience the bible has done a, a much better job at interpreting my own life than i have of interpreting it what you believe can be a good thing what, what your opinions are can be a good thing, but it can also be a dangerous starting point. We need something more. So if we can't approach the scriptures starting with our own belief, then where do we start? As followers of Jesus, it is our aim to posture our lives the way that Jesus did his, right? We walk as Jesus walked. We live as Jesus lived. We do what Jesus did and is doing right now. And we believe as Jesus believed. So what if we started our conversation differently about the Bible? What if we started our conversation not on our own belief or our opinions about the scriptures? But what if, what if we started with Jesus? What did Jesus believe about the Bible? Have you ever asked that? See, Jesus approached the scriptures in, in, in a specific way, and he actually sh- we, we actually see that in his word, but as followers of Jesus, shouldn't we then aim our lives to approach the scriptures the way that Jesus did? Shouldn't that be the way that we start? Shouldn't that be how we approach the scriptures? So for the rest of our time i, w- I want to invite us to look at a few different instances in the word where we see jesus actually um showing us how he approached the scriptures and we're, this isn't going to be an extensive list there's a lot of conversation and we could go on for weeks and weeks about um how we should approach the scriptures based on the way that jesus did so like i i know that this won't be extensive i know that this won't be extensive but um I I do think that these things will be specific for our time and place today. And so I hope you're encouraged. I hope the Lord just stirs your affection um, for him and for his word. Um, So in our conversation, we're gonna find that Jesus had a deep love for the scriptures and that when he approached them, he approached the Bible as inspired. He also approached it as the fulfillment of it. He believed that he was the fulfillment of the word. And to kind of like expound on that point, we're gonna recognize that Jesus saw himself as the center of the word when he approached it. So for starters, we're gonna turn to Luke chapter six, starting in verse 46 and we'll go through 47. Luke chapter two, verse 46 and 47. All right, for context, Jesus is 12 years old at this moment, and his parents and him had gone to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, if you've ever felt like a bad parent, Jesus's parents lost him, and it took him a whole day to figure it out. Now, Meredith and I don't have kids yet, so no judgment here, but maybe every parent of a 12-year-old has been like, "Ooh, where'd he go? Oh, well, (laughs) I I don't know. So it it takes them a little bit of time to find him, and they eventually find him in the temple with the religious teachers of the day. Um, So we get to this place in verse 46, so read with me. It says, after three days of looking, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So he was sitting with the teachers, and we get this picture of Jesus having a conversation with them, and and they're the ones that are amazed at his responses. But it starts with him him asking the questions. So it's almost this image, imagine this with me, of of Jesus asking them a question, and then the teacher's being like, that's a good question. Uh, What do you think? And then it eventually transitions into him, like, then giving answers and him showing them how he sees the scriptures. So, what was the primary source that these teachers taught from? The scriptures. So, It's almost like we get this picture of Jesus at a young age being immersed in the word, that that he he, he had a deep love and affection for it, even at a young age to the point where he, he knew it deeply. It's subtly revealed here, but in many other instances as well, we see this picture of Jesus's mind and imagination being saturated with the word of God Jesus approached the Bible with a deep love for it. And as followers of Jesus, my question for you is, do you love the scriptures? Are you immersed in it? Are you saturated with it? If you follow Jesus, then we should align our lives the way that he did his so, turn with me over to the left, or um, yeah, to the left, to the book of Matthew. And we're going to start in chapter 22. There's this other moment in Matthew 22, starting in verse 41, and we'll go through verse 46. Um, and it's a, it's a conversation Jesus is having with a group of Pharisees. So, read this with me, starting in verse 41. and no one was able to answer him a word nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions so it, just imagine this moment with me for a second like jesus is surrounded by a group of pharisees classic jesus and he's having a conversation with them and he then he asks them a question whose son do you think the Christ is. So he, he knew that the Pharisees who understood the word recognized that the scriptures talked about a, a coming Messiah. So he says, whose son do you think the Christ is? Uh, David's? All right, but David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord. So how can then he be his, just his son? So it's a pretty good argument but i don't want to get into the the nuance or the conversation the content of what jesus is trying to say i just want us to notice something specific about what he says notice when he refers to david who by the way is an author of a psalm that is found in scripture the one that he is pointing to in this moment and he says david speaking by the spirit or some of your translations might say in the spirit so, this is the clearest instance we have of Jesus recognizing the inspiration of the Bible. Both humanity and divinity at play in the work of the creation of the scriptures. This wasn't David just speaking of his own experiences in accord, but it wasn't, also it wasn't David seeing the writings in the heavens and then just writing them down. It was specifically the Spirit's words. No, there's this combination of both. It was inspiration. So think about inspiration this way. How many of you guys were homeschooled in, in any of your time in, in grade school? I was. So we've got a few in the room. We are the coolest people in the room, I swear. So how many of you um, were, uh, are parents of homeschoolers? So you guys are the coolest parents and the coolest teachers, double whammy. Um, so I was homeschooled in elementary specifically, and then in middle school, I went uh, to public school, and I had friends that knew that I was homeschooled and some that didn't. I didn't go around saying, hello, my name is Garrison Wash, I homeschooled. So it just wasn't a, a part of the normal conversation, you know, so some of them knew that I had been homeschooled, some of them didn't. Um, and one of my friends one time who had no idea actually pinned me so hard. He So this is exactly what he said. He came up to me, and was like, Garrison, you know, like, you seem like the kind of guy that was homeschooled. School in elementary and practiced piano for five, five hours a week, or five hours a day. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, you got me. Um, I, I actually did practice piano. I did, I took piano lessons for about 11 years. So I just want you to imagine, again, young Gerson practicing piano for a long period of time. And I, I want you to ask yourselves the question, where is the music coming from? Is it the piano or is it me? Yes. See, this is how inspiration works. Now, obviously, the metaphor is going to, like, collapse at one point or another. But the the point of it is, is that it's both, right? There's an aspect of humanity and divinity both playing a part in the inspiration of scriptures. Jesus believed that the word was the divinely inspired word of God. And now from context, we can assume that Peter, one of his disciples, was watching this whole situation go down. That he was actually having, uh, while Jesus was having conversation with the Pharisees, Peter was listening to it happen. And, and Peter actually writes about inspiration in his own letter um, in Second Peter. So if, if, you mind, if you wouldn't mind turning to Second Peter with me uh, for a second, Second Peter, chapter one, verse 20 through 21, and we'll read what, what Peter has to say about inspiration. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In saying this, Peter was pointing towards the notion that the the people who were writing scripture, these prophets, recognized that it wasn't just coming from them, but the, the divine, that the Holy Spirit played a part in this. Guys, this book, it's not just stories or collection of talks and and moral absolutes. We're not just making these things up. This is the divinely inspired word of God, And, and Jesus believed this, and his disciples did as well. In a culture where we're constantly calling into question the validity of the word, and we're navigating through whether or not we think that the word of God is is actually the word of God, whether or not it's divine, you can rest in the reality that as a follower of Jesus, the one who saved you trusts in this word, and we can rest in that. So we're gonna look at another passage, and it's Matthew 5. Uh, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So this word abolish actually from the root word can either mean to loosen or even destroy. And I know that that's a large spectrum, um, but to use a word that's beginning to surface again in our culture con- cultural context, especially within Christian circles, it's essentially Jesus is saying, don't think that I have come to deconstruct the scriptures. I have not come to deconstruct them, but to fulfill them. So in context, scholars believe that at this point in the narrative, Jesus's way of life was so radical, his teaching was so radical that people were beginning to believe that he actually came to do away with the scriptures. That like because of the way he was living his life and the things that he was teaching, people were wondering, like, okay, so do, do you believe in the word of God? They were questioning that. So he, he's responding to that in this moment, and he corrects them. He says i haven't come to deconstruct the law or the prophets which is just slang for for the scriptures i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them now this word fulfill means to bring something to its appointed goal when a couple says their wedding vows they are fulfilling their engagement or when a ship goes out to sea they are, or it is fulfilling its design and construction. So fulfillment doesn't necessarily always mean the end of things. Uh, sometimes it means bringing it into a different phase of its journey. So the the ship was always meant to go out to sea, and the engagement ring was always meant to sit next to the wedding ring. And the law and the prophets were always meant to point Towards Jesus, He believed that he was the fulfillment to the scriptures, that the word of God actually pointed to him. In John 5, verses 39 through 40, Jesus looks at a group of Judeans and says this to them, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Man, have I been there. Maybe for a lot of us in this room, we can relate to the people that Jesus is talking to, where yes, we believe the, the, the Bible is the word of God. It's truth for our lives. But I wonder if some of us, like the people that Jesus is talking to, have elevated or even idolized the scriptures in a way that blurs the line between the word of God and God himself. It says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Have you ever been there? Have you ever noticed how easy it is to take one of the most beautiful gifts that God has given us and turn it into a God all on its own? For some of us, because of our upbringings, our backgrounds, our experiences, it's easier for us to get our heads around something like the Bible than it is for us to uh, think about something like the Holy Spirit, right? You know, with the Bible, we think that we can study hard, pour our noses into it and dig, and we can gain some sense of control. Um, That like, if if we interpret well and we handle it with care, that we can almost have some sense of like, Control or understanding around the the scriptures. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God, and he calls us into a relationship of power that sometimes results in unexpected circumstances. But as in any relationship, have any of you ever noticed that intellect doesn't always bring about intimacy? that the scriptures were always meant to point towards Jesus, but some of us are are fine just sticking in academics. We're we're fine just thinking about our head. Now you need both. Uh, We need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but you also have to love the Lord your God with your heart and soul. There's a relationship to it too. We must learn to move beyond the person, or beyond the pages into the person the scriptures were always pointing to Jesus. Jesus believed that every passage, whether directly or indirectly, was a step in the direction of his own narrative and the beautiful life that he is so graciously inviting us into. As a follower of Jesus, if you're in this season of deconstruction, deconstruction where you're questioning the scriptures or ha- bringing your opinions, I mean, those things aren't wrong. Questioning is good. Or maybe you're in the season on the opposite end of the spectrum where you're burying your nose into the scriptures, you're pouring into it, studying it, learning as much as you possibly can, gleaning from it. Jesus's encouragement to both of us, no matter where we are, is do not forget about me. I'm the point of the word. Do not forget my goodness. I am the fulfillment. I am at the center. There's this moment in Luke 24 after Jesus is re- resurrected from the grave uh, where he comes to two of his disciples who are going back home and he conceals his identity to them and he, he walks alongside them, has conversation with them. And then uh, he gets to this point where he recognizes that they're a little bit distraught. Um, that there's something wrong, and he he asks them, "What's, what's going on? Why are you distraught? And they're like, don't you know? Like, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Like, and they tell, and they explain the whole story, and remember, they don't know who he is at this point in time. He's concealed his identity, and so they're explaining these things to him, and then this is how Jesus responds. He says in verse 25, So let me be honest with you, if I had just resurrected from the dead and was wanting the world to know about it, I know exactly how I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't conceal my identity, start walking with my friends that had been with me for three years, and then decide to like, tell them off after they're depressed and get, take them through an entire study of the Bible and then eat dinner with them, break bread in half, and then vanish into thin air. Like, that's, I wouldn't do that, but that's exactly how Jesus does it in this moment. And then look at verse 32, how they respond to this. It says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. So from what I can make of it, it seems as though the reason Jesus approached it this way is because he wanted to take them through the scriptures. He wanted them to see how the entire narrative of scriptures from beginning to end is actually pointing to him. Apparently, the reality that Jesus had resurrected from the dead could wait. But seeing Jesus as the centerpiece to scriptures could not. He he chose to bring them through the Bible first before revealing his identity. It was actually through the scriptures that they found Christ's identity. That's when their eyes were opened. And I I love this moment because when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he didn't go to the center of power displaying his splendor and glory. No, he came and walked with us where we are at to show them his love. To show us our, our our dire need for Him, to reveal to us through the Scriptures that that He is the answer to all of this. So, in summary, we can approach the Bible with with rest, with trust, because Jesus did. As followers of Jesus, it should be the goal of our lives to approach the Bible the way that. Jesus did. So, how do we apply this to our lives? There's going to be many instances where questions still come up. Um, again, we haven't talked about every subject. We haven't gone down the little rabbit trails. Um, questions aren't wrong, you know. <laughs> like, there's going to be times when your life is like loving the scriptures, and there's going to be moments when you you, you can't seem to pick it up. Um, The reality is Jesus is coming alongside us, that you're not alone in this. Like we have the community of believers here learning to approach the scriptures as Jesus did together, but like Jesus doesn't just tell us, hey, approach it the way I did and I'm gonna go sit over here. No, in Luke 24, we recognize that Jesus wants to walk with us through the room I was talking uh, to Ryan earlier um, today and he he created the analogy, what if you were reading the Harry Potter novels and J.K. Rowling was sitting right there next to you and you could like legitimately ask her questions about things. Like this is a relationship, like Jesus is in the room right now and he wants to reveal to you the scriptures. So, whether or not you're in the room and you find yourself in the category of believer or non-believer, follower of Jesus or not yet. Like he's calling us into his, his word because through his word, he wants to reveal to us life. He wants, through his word, he wants to reveal to us himself. So maybe you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus. And when I talk about approaching the scriptures as Jesus did, you're like, yes your heart leaps within you. If that's you, maybe Jesus is simply just stirring your affection for the word. And maybe he's also calling you to help others feel the same. Or maybe you're in here and you're, Uh, a follower of Jesus, but you're questioning things at the moment. You're in a season where you're asking questions of the Bible, and you're navigating through the different things, and and, and you have problems with it, and you're trying to figure those things out. Again, questions are not wrong, but I would encourage you, do not just sit on the questions. Actually try to find answers. And, And perhaps as a follower of Jesus, the encouragement is simple. Trust him, like, if you believe in Christ, that means that, like, you believe him, in him for your life. And if that's the case, then shouldn't we trust the way that he approaches the scriptures as well? And now, lastly, if you're not a believer in the room, if, if you feel like you don't know where you are at in this whole Christianity thing, right, um, my encouragement to you is, I mean, that's, that's great. You don't actually have to come to terms with where uh, you are as far as approaching the scriptures yet. But let me just say this. Christ, through his word, has changed my life. This Bible has changed everything for me because of Jesus. I have encountered Jesus in this. And let me just say this too. As followers of Jesus, you guys are like looking in um, to the life of a, of a community of believers, and you're, you're asking questions. You're trying to figure these things out. Like, the reason we believe what we believe isn't just simply because of this. It's because of Jesus, Like we are not followers of Jesus because the Bible tells us so. We are followers of Jesus because Jesus is alive. And we have his word that was compiled over 1,500 years that's been preserved for thousands of years, which is a miracle on its own. And it talks about real people. It was written by real people who had real experiences and they wanted us to know about it. And it speaks of the Jesus who actually lived, actually died, and rose again three days later. And by the way, game changer. Like, if someone predicts his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then pulls it off, you actually believe what he has to say. You listen to him. Guys, this word points us to him. So whether or not you're a follower, or or you're still trying to figure things out, or no matter where you are in the spectrum of following Jesus in your faith journey, recognize that Jesus is calling you into him. He wants relationship with you. And the way that you can have access to him is actually through his word. And and so I have an assignment for us uh, in closing. I hope that's okay. Uh, I I mean, sometimes conversations on Sundays they're more motivational. Sometimes that's the halftime locker room motivational talk. Sometimes it's more somber, and and then sometimes there there are conversations that seem more like classroom conversations. And this one's kind of gone between like the somber and, or the the coffee shop conversation across the table from somebody to the the classroom conversation. So I do, I want to give you guys a little bit of an assignment in light of that so that we can practice these things and kind of stir our affections for the word. Um, We're going to be reading the book of Mark together over this week. And actually when Mark was written, it was intended to be read in one sitting. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us have never done that. So I, I just want to encourage you guys to to read the book of Mark in one sitting. It'll, it's, it's a short book. It's about 16 chapters, and it'll only take you about like 45 minutes to an hour to get all the way through it. And my hope is, is, is that you'll just like seek Jesus through it. Like, what do you see him doing? Like, what, what do you find? What, stands out to you as you read the book of Mark. And my hope is that our hearts would just be stirred in affection for his word, that we'd see Jesus through his word, and that as we begin to walk with him, that we would come to love him more, and that we would be people that are marked by his words just as Jesus was. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for providing your word. We thank you for meeting us where we are at. Um, Jesus, you you are good. You are great. And those things aren't in contradiction. I pray that like our hearts would just be at rest, Lord, that you would encourage us through worship, um, that you would grow our affections for you, Lord. Um, There is no move of the Spirit um, that is void of devotion to your word. So I pray that your Spirit would move in this room and that it would stir our affections uh, for your scriptures. We love you, Lord, Gosh, we love you. I pray that our hearts would uh, just be open. In your holy, holy, holy heavenly name we pray. Amen.